Good morning, beloved. We will be in Luke chapter 6, if you'd like to make your copy of Scripture ready. Luke chapter 6. Uh, while you're turning there, I think I've shared this before, but one of the most like anxious-ridden or anxiety-ridden moments in my life on an ongoing basis is when I get a haircut. I think that is in part because growing up, my mom always cut my hair. Um, and so it was just a very weird thing to get a haircut by someone who was not my mom when I grew up. And, um, but it's also this thing where like, I, I think it's kind of like art, um, I don't, I think like you can, ha- like with any kind of art, you can have skills and technique that will kind of get by, but really it comes down to like, just do you have that talent? Do you have that eye for it? Um, it's, it's an art, and I think haircutting is an art. Um, and so when I'm getting my hair cut and someone is cutting my hair, and you know, there's always a big mirror, which is just not a good idea, um, at least in my opinion, because then you're watching this happen. And I sound really vain with all this, I know, and that's, that's, True, um, but as I'm, as I'm watching, you know, you, you realize pretty quickly, like, this person's not an artist, or this person is an artist. <laughs> like, you win some, you lose some, but um, some months back, this is not my most recent experience, but some months back, I was in uh, the, the haircutting, what do, you, what do you call this, barbershop salon, I don't know what this is called, but I'm in there, big mirror, and the, the person is cutting my hair, and I pretty quickly realized, like, this is not an artist, and that's okay. <laughs> I'm just going to be okay with this. And as we're going, like, she finishes up, like, brushing off all the hair and everything. And I'm just like, all right, here we go. I'm going to go pay for this and put a smile on my face and see what Courtney says. But um, we, I, as, as I'm, like, getting cleaned off, she's like, so what do you do for a living? I was like, oh, I'm a pastor. And she's like, because that usually doesn't go well. Usually shuts some conversations down. But she's like, oh, wait a minute. I need to give you a minister's cut. And she totally recut my hair. Like, the entire process was redone and looked way better. Still not, an, still not an artist. Still not an artist, but way better. And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, I think I should say thank you. I don't know. Like, that's just weird. Like, why, why did I get a different treatment when I said I was a pastor and get the ministers cut? Um, I was, it was strange. But you know, some different people can receive different treatment. Um, that's, that's just, sadly, our reality. Different people can receive different treatment. I mean, I, I said that I was a pastor, and she suddenly wanted to give me, like, her best, and that was really kind of her. Um, but, you know, sometimes I say I'm a pastor, and that shuts the conversation down. Um, sometimes it doesn't go so well for me to say I'm a pastor. Um, and, like, in fact, like, I've lost friends because I'm a pastor. And often friends will walk away, and you don't even get to have a conversation about whatever the, the breaking issue was. And, and so it's just strange to think like just saying my occupation as pastor can get me a better haircut or make me lose friends. Like that's strange. And every one of you know this reality that you can receive very different treatment based on things that may or may not be under your control. Like you get treated differently. This haircutting experience is silly and trivial, but injustice is very real and it's tragic. And we see it painfully in the way that different people are treated differently. And we're coming up on the end of February, Black History Month. And you think that entire categories of human species just based on race, the color of our skin, and what lineage we have, all these things, like can bring about such oppression. And that is tragic to think that like we can do that to each other as humans. That we can treat people so differently based on appearance, on the way we sound, on so many different things. And you're watching the news as Russia is invading Ukraine, and 
you, you, you hear these stories and, and you see these things happening and it's heartbreaking to think like, could you imagine? Like just a family who just happens to live in this place that for generations have lived there wanting nothing to do with all the geopolitics of their history and this neighboring country and all this stuff and then suddenly to have tanks driving through your yard, blowing the roof off your house, things like that. Like it is crazy to think how we can treat each other so differently. Um, But Jesus is gonna speak um, to some categorical differences in people. That is true. And so we're picking up, uh, we're jumping into Luke chapter six. And so last week we explored how Jesus extended this invitation to follow him to Peter and the early disciples. And it was this invitation of grace that is Peter realizes that divinity is in the boat with me. And he falls to his knees, confessing himself to be a sinner. It's like, just go away. I don't deserve to be around you. And yet Jesus is like, no, I'm, I'm here on purpose. And in fact, now you're gonna come with me and I'm gonna totally turn upside down your life because you're gonna now catch people. You're gonna do what I'm doing. You're gonna invite people into everlasting life. And it's all because of Jesus, who Jesus is. And so now the invitation to you and I is to follow Jesus. And so what we're gonna do for the next month now is start looking through the Gospel of Luke at what are the teachings of Jesus? Because if we're gonna follow Jesus, we need to be obedient to Jesus. And if we're gonna be obedient to Jesus and following him, we need to know what he says. And so we're gonna start today with Luke chapter six, verse 20. So Luke chapter six, verse 20. This is often called the Sermon on the Plain. I mean, you're gonna see a ton of parallels. If you recall a couple years ago when we went through Matthew, we spent the entire time basically between Christmas and Easter looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, So this is very similar. In fact, it's kind of like one-third of the content from the Sermon on the Mount is here in the Sermon on the Plain. Um, It's debated as to whether it's the same sermon. Um, It seems highly likely that Jesus would be teaching to different people at different times, and so he would repeat a lot of his teachings. So we don't know exactly, um, but this is Luke's retelling of this sermon. So chapter 6, verse 20. This is what he starts, the first section of his sermon. He says, Then looking up at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry, because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Two categories of people are presented here by Jesus. He's contrasting two different postures or positions that people can actually be found in. Um, One is marked by current hardship. This is injustice, and yet there's a promised blessing. This other category, this other position, is marked by this current lavish lifestyle of comfort and levity, but he gives a warning of coming judgment and destruction. So who is this that Jesus is talking to? Look back at verse 20. Then looking up at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. So here we have it. Who is Jesus talking to? He looks at his disciples. 
now speaking to his disciples, and he says, blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. And so it begs the question, well, who are the poor? Is he speaking in economic terms, or is he speaking in social, political, like, what is this? Is it just spiritual? What, what is Jesus saying? Who are the poor? And I would argue that Jesus is speaking primarily in spiritual terms throughout this. The poor are associated with a greater dependence on God. But as we acknowledge that, and it will make more and more sense as we go through that this is speaking primarily to a spiritual nature, um, this does not negate the reality that the spiritual and the natural are often so interconnected. And we, with our Western minds, like to, to kind of compartmentalize, to segment things out, like we want a clear black and white line of like, this is this, and this is this, it's so easy. And yet, the biblical picture is always that the spiritual and the natural are so intermarried. That what happens in the spiritual affects the natural, and what happens in the natural is actually affecting the spiritual in some sense. And so we can't divorce those two, and we definitely cannot look at this and then just say, well, we're gonna spiritualize all of this and say that we actually don't need to care about the economic poor. Like, no, you would be so going against everything that Jesus taught, everything that the scriptures from start to finish speak, that we are to absolutely engage in mercy and justice. We should be helping those who are least and vulnerable. We should be doing what we can to bring up those who are in poverty and help them. That's, Jesus says the greatest command, love God with everything you are, and the second is like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. And just take 10 seconds to think, what does it actually look like if you love your neighbor as much as you love you? How different does your day look like? How different does your pace of life look like? How different does your bank account and your transactions look? If you love others as much as you love yourself, I'm speaking into a mirror too. That's hard. So we cannot just hyper-spiritualize this and ignore that there is practical injustice around us. There is real injustice and we should engage in justice and mercy ministry. But I believe he is speaking to the spiritually poor in this. That this is the people, these are the people who have a greater dependence on God because they cannot fend for themselves. They cannot provide for themselves. And so they look to God to provide. And so he says, blessed are you who are poor. Um, this, there's a repeated refrain here, blessed are the blessed are blessed. And so you recall the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is kind of the same thing happening here. These are Beatitudes. A Beatitude, like what is a Beatitude? It's a declaration of someone being happy contented or fortunate. It's about more than just feelings. It's about your social situation, your, your position. It's about more than just, I feel happy. It's no, it's, it's where do I stand? And Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor. Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. And that leaves us with another question. If the blessing is that the kingdom of God is yours, when you're poor. What is the kingdom of God? <laughs> what is it about having the kingdom of God that makes me blessed or happy, content, fortunate, in good standing? What is the kingdom of God? We hear that language all the time. Jesus loved to use that language. The kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Paul references the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Like We hear that over and over and over throughout the New Testament. What is the kingdom of God? This thing that is our blessing if we are poor. A kingdom requires a king, right? And so we have to ask, who's the king in the kingdom of God? It is God. 
It is his kingdom. And so a kingdom is where there is a king, and a king is not a king unless that king has sovereignty. He has power. And so we look to the kingdom of God and say, God, you are king, and he has sovereignty. He has uncontested sovereignty as he wills. And yet we see people who are acting in defiance of that. And so where do we find the kingdom of God? Jesus said it was at hand. In fact, it was here. It was here in him. And now it lives in us as Christ lives in us. We, the church, who live under the rule and reign of God, we, we demonstrate, we show that the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is truly here. This is a kingdom that will prevail when every other kingdom will fall. The kingdom of God will endure forever. So what a blessing to be part of a kingdom that will never fail, that will never crumble, it will go on forever. And yet Jesus marks this kingdom with demonstrations of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God as he miraculously reverses the effects of sin and death, destruction, all of the curse. He's going around showing that he has this real power. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. That the enemy has no place. He can be cast out. That sin and death Like, he's raising people back to life. He's healing the sick. The blind have sight. He's doing all these things to show this is what the kingdom of God looks like. In fact, it goes back to this early idea as God created everything and he created it how? Good. That there was peace. This Jewish idea of shalom. That there's human flourishing. That there's there's great peace. There's fellowship that is so joyful between God and man and man to man and man and creation as he cultivates that and work is good. Like how beautiful is that? (laughs) That work would be good and enjoyable. This is what the kingdom of God is. And Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor because yours is the kingdom of God. And he goes on to the first part of 21. He says, blessed are you who are now hungry because you will be filled. This is obviously related to the poor. The poor get hungry because they can't afford food. Inflation. (laughs) But blessed are you who are now hungry because you will be filled. There's a lack. There's an injustice. That why would some go hungry? I used to teach um, AP human geography and, and we would get to a section where we would talk about how the world actually produces about seven times the amount of food that's necessary to feed its population. And yet, billions are hungry every single day. That's injustice. It's tragic. But this, again, is not just this outward, like, oh, my stomach is gurgling, like, I'm hungry. This is an inner hunger for God to provide what the hungry cannot provide for themselves. So God says, you will be filled. And the Sermon on the Mount, the language is expanded out that you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You hunger and thirst for what only God can provide. And the assurance is that they will be filled. And then it goes on to the second part. It says, blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. You who weep, you will laugh. Ah, again, related to the poor, this, this lacking, this injustice, but there's this promise that at the time of fulfillment, when the kingdom of heaven is fully realized, that you will laugh because injustice will be met with justice. The injustice will come to an end and there will be a time of laughter. There will be no more mourning, no more tears. The former things will have passed away. And he goes on, verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, 
take note. Your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. There's this beautiful paradox here, that this persecution actually leads to blessing. The things that hurt are actually gonna become joyful. They're gonna become things of pride. They're gonna be beautiful things. The hurt, the horrific, all of the ugly becomes beautiful in your suffering. And so he goes through it, hated. When you're hated, to be hated is this public reaction that God sees it. It's a public reaction that God sees and we do have to note the difference culturally of here we live in, in the West where um, we are very individualistic about our faith. In fact, um, surveys have shown most of us tragically think that it's actually offensive and wrong for us to share our faith with another. That is the very opposite of what God has called us to. Now, this is life. To know Jesus is to have life and there, there's a dead world around us. And we're to be salt and light, arresting decay, shining light into that. And so we're supposed to share our faith. And yet there's this reaction you can expect to be hated for that, to have a public reaction. Um, But they lived in a time in the the East, and, and their culture was very much more communal instead of individualistic. And so your faith was public. Like everything about your life was was demonstrating where your faith was placed. And so people would know, oh, you follow Jesus? You're connected to the Son of Man? That was known. You didn't hide that. So you could be hated. It would be known and spread. You'd be excluded. He says, when you're excluded, to be excluded is the social ostracism. And maybe a business, that you lost a business deal because someone found out about your beliefs. And maybe a friendship, a relationship, had lunch with a guy this week who's talking about how he's just, he's, as he's trying to be obedient and following Jesus, he's losing friends left and right all of a sudden because it's this hot topic conversation about things where he's like, I just, I have to land differently. And they won't let me explain this in a way that means like, I still love you and we can disagree, but instead, it's excluding. You're cut off. And yet Jesus says, blessed, blessed, or insulted insulted, or your name is slandered. This is the verbal acute attack on your personhood. Um, throughout scripture, when it speaks of someone's name, um, your name is who you are. It's, it's attached to your very identity of who you are as a person. And so for you to be so personally attacked in totality, your personhood called into question and accused, slandered, dragged through the mud, all these things, and yet Jesus says, this is a blessing. All of what comes because of the disciples' connection to Jesus that leads to persecution is also the connection that leads to this promised blessing. So which will we fixate on? And then he finished it off because you know it's good to know that you're in good company. He says, think back on the prophets. Think about how they were treated. Think of the prophets who were faithful to God. You remember how everyone treated them? They were beaten. They were abused, made a mockery of all those things. Do you think they regret that? be in good standing. We know this is true, right? How, how often do we hear, like, who gets to the end of their life and thinks, you know what, I wish I would have kept more of my own money. I wish I would have been more stingy with my time. You get to the end of your life and you think, I wish I was more generous. I wish I would have lived for things that mattered more than the moment. But then you come back into today and you think, what am I doing for lunch? What am I gonna do? Me. Like, it's so hard to remember, and yet, there's such wisdom in saying, look at those who've gone ahead. 
Look at the person on their deathbed. And we live in a culture where like, we want death to be kind of like, oh, like, like hide it over there. There's actually a cemetery close by. And, and I can't help but think like, what would it be like to live in one of those houses where like, you just come out of your door every morning and you're like, oh, bunch of dead people. There you go. Like, would that be sad? Imagine like going for walks through that. And yet, historically, that's always been really good for us. To actually be face to face with death is really good for us. And Solomon said, it's better to be in the house of mourning. Huh, why? Because it gives us perspective. Helps us to remember what matters. We gotta keep going. Verse 24. The language shifts. As you go from all these blessings, despite hardship, and now he says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. What is a woe? Woe to you. A woe is used to warn of danger or coming judgment. That's a warning. Watch out. Woe. The rich. Better be warned. Be careful. Watch out. Judgment is coming. And so what is the deal here? Why are the rich, like, the rich are going to face judgment? This is scary. I mean, think about our context. None of us, none of us would probably raise our hand and say, like, oh, I'm rich. But then you compare our lifestyle to the rest of the, our majority of this world, we are absolutely rich. And Jesus says, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. And so know this, the rich are not excluded for being rich. This is about a posture that's being displayed. This is a posture of self-reliance as opposed to a dependence on God. And so you see the contrast, the first half, the blessings to the poor. And really everything is a subset of being poor. It's a dependency on God. And now he shifts and says, okay, those of you who rely on yourselves, be careful. Watch out. You've received your comfort. And how sad is that to think, if this is my comfort, and it can so easily be taken from me, to where I'm left feeling so hopeless or so hurt, then what do you have to look for if this is what you had? You never had anything. It was fleeting. Um, but again, this, uh, just be clear, the New Testament actually gives us beautiful examples of people who have great wealth and are greatly generous, blessed by God, and a great blessing to the world. So don't think that this is just saying like, it is evil to be rich. It's not. But what is your, what is your dependence? What are you relying on in your wealth, American? Again, the mirror's here. Where is our dependence? Where is our comfort? From 25, he says, Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. This is the situation reversal. <laughs> you think it's great now, huh? It's not going to be great. This is not referring to all humor or all levity. Um, this, is, this is not saying like you need to just always be hungry. What he's saying is this is the attitude of self-satisfaction. It is dangerous. Or 26, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Did you hear that? Woe to you when all people speak well of you. If you're coasting through life and no one is at all offended by anything you say or do, it might not be because you're just really nice and peaceful. It might be because you're actually shying away from truth that must be spoken. You're shying away from the call of what it is to pick up a cross, a torture device, and march to death and following our Savior. 
telling the world, this is the only way, but it is the way of love. Abandoning truth and saying only what others want to hear is disastrous. And that is a huge weakness of mine that I've learned. So, verse 20 identifies a group. Blessed are those who are poor. And verse 24 identifies yet another group. Blessed are, sorry, woe to you who are rich. And then you have kind of this like fallout of this. This is what it looks like. Here's some characteristics of these categories. There are people who are dependent on God and there are people who are dependent on themselves. They're self-satisfied. They're depending on themselves or things that they've acquired. They're putting their faith, their trust in something other than God. This is the danger. This leads to destruction, to put our trust in something else. And so I just have to wonder, like, what would these woes sound like today? I actually thought, I started to make a list of my own and I thought, that's probably just not wise. <laughs> So you can make the list. What would be the warnings that Jesus would give you? Woe to you when you make it Monday to Friday, just looking at the weekend. Woe to you when you run to that thing in your pocket for intimacy. Woe to you, and you just go on and on and on. Because this is what idolatry is. If you look through these characteristics, an idol is anything that we've put in the place of God. And so when you look at what these things are, he's saying, like, where's your comfort? Well, you rich, be careful. You've already received your comfort. Do you run to anything other than God for comfort? Is it yet another drink when you know you should have put it down? Is it that next thing on the screen? Is it the next purchase, the next position? Like, where is your comfort? Where is your comfort? Where is your satisfaction? Woe to you who are filled. Uh, where is your satisfaction or joy? <laughs> Woe to you who are laughing now. Where do you find your joy? Is it in something that's going to be robbed? Where is your joy? Is your joy in God? Or woe to you when all men speak well of you. Your reputation, the way others view you, perceive you, your number of likes, your number of followers, whatever it is. Where do you get your sense of identity? What gives you a sense of meaning and purpose in your life? If you're not dependent on God for that, woe to you. Be careful, because it leads to destruction. Jesus is essentially saying, blessed are those who follow Jesus in dependence on God, but woe to those who are stagnant and self-satisfied. One group has to move. Blessed are those who have to move because you are dependent on God and if God is on the move and he's saying, follow me, then I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna be moving in dependence on you, God. The other group sits in their plush, luxury recliner, fat and happy, laughing. I have everything I need. Look what I've done. Dependent on themselves and their dependencies on other things around them, but not God. So just be careful. This is all you've got and it's going to be taken from you. Don't live for that. But now, we said, if we're going to follow Jesus, we must obey his teachings. And what is there to obey in this? Is this just like, okay, we got a good understanding here, but no, there's actually a command. Did you see the command? Look back at verse 23. In the midst of the blessings that come in hardships, he says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. 
Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. So the command is rejoice in that day, in the day when you are suffering, in the day when you are persecuted, in the day that you're lacking, in the day that you are sorrowful, you are commanded by God to rejoice and leap for joy. Like, okay. (laughs) That's a lot easier to say than do. How do I do that? How do I rejoice in the midst of suffering? Uh, This week, uh, Courtney and I uh, sit down at the table with the kids for dinner, and Leland gets this funny look on his face looking at Courtney, and he says, what's a ma'am? And she realizes she's wearing a necklace that says mama, but she's put it on backwards again. And this happens. I love her. I'm not making fun of her. This happens frequently. Um, You know what the problem is? She puts the necklace on in the mirror where things are mirrored, and she puts on mama, reads it great, looks great in the mirror. And then she walks away. And we're all like, hey, ma'am, what is that? (laughs) You did it again, sweetie. What is that? It's the way that you see things. And so look back at verse 20. Looking up at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. What is the tense of the blessing? You're currently poor, And what's else currently true? The kingdom of God is yours, presently. The kingdom of God is yours, presently. Now look again, 21. Blessed are you who are now hungry, so you are now hungry because you will be filled. You're currently hungry, but you will be filled. And then blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Do you see the tense changes? Here's your current situation is awful, but you look forward to something. And yet verse 20 was different. It was your current situation is bad, you're poor. And yet currently also, yours is the kingdom of God. What is the trick to rejoicing in the midst of suffering? is to see what is actually true today. What is true today is the kingdom of God is ours in Christ. Today it is true. We rejoice in the midst of suffering because today it is true that we have the kingdom of God. In 2009, well-known story, the Pilati brothers were totally broke, like broke to the point where they're living in a cave outside Budapest, Hungary, scavenging daily for what can they find to sell, trade, eat, whatever it is. They have nothing. Living in a cave, can you imagine what that feels like? You know what happens? One day some social workers come walking up. We found you. The Pilate brothers? (laughs) Yeah, we going to jail again? I don't know. You gotta come with us. They connect them with some attorneys, attorneys who are overseeing their grandmother's estate. They go from living in a cave, scavenging for what they will eat and live off of, to these social workers, charity workers, showing up, connecting them to some attorneys who are overseeing the estate of their grandmother who's passed away, and they receive four billion pounds. That's more than five billion US dollars today. Can you imagine? To go from, I'm living in a cave outside the city, just wondering how I'll eat. That broke. To some people show up and are like, hey, you probably don't want to live in a cave anymore. You actually have billions of dollars. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. 
That is what is happening here. How different would they live every day waking up in a cave? Oh, I'm so filthy. I wish I could take a bath. Oh, what? I'm, my stomach's doing that thing again. I'm so hungry. What are we going to do? Feeling sick. I can't afford to go to the doctor. All the things. What would it be like if they just knew in those days you actually have more money than you could ever spend? Just hold on. Just hold on. It's yours. You just need to connect you, make the transfer. It's all yours, but it's really yours now. Then how different would they live day to day to day knowing that's what's to come? And it's actually really mine already. It's in her will. It's mine. This is the Christian life. This is the tension that Jesus introduces that's actually found over and over and over of the already not yet. The battle has been won, and yet it still seems like it's raging. We're living it out. That we have this promised blessing. I love the way that Paul says this in his letter to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter one, he says, in him, meaning Jesus, in him we have received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who have already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. You hear that? You have an inheritance you have an inheritance. And that inheritance was yours before you were born. You were predestined for it. It was yours. In him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The immeasurable riches of heaven are ours. And that is today. That is today. And so, like Courtney's necklace, when she looks in the mirror, oh, like, it seems right and it's not right. When we just look at our circumstances, man, it doesn't look right. It looks awful. This is terrible. This is suffering. This is real persecution when you were living in connection to Christ. And yet, you have to look beyond just the mirror around you. You have to look to what is actually true beyond this. As I have an inheritance that is kept undefiled, unperishing in heaven for me. And it's mine now. It's mine now so I can go through day after day of suffering, rejoicing, leaping for joy. It's okay. Doesn't matter what happens here. Yes, it's real hurt. We won't shy away from that. Like no one's calling you to some kind of stoic idea of like you just pretend like it doesn't hurt. Like no, we can be real and honest about our feelings and everything else. And yet you can live with this just unpenetrable joy. Nothing can touch this. This is my inheritance. That God has called me his own. And he is my joy. My dependence is on him. The gospel is proof that we are blessed. This is good news. So it all really comes down to this. Know and enjoy God today with the assurance of what is to come. Today, will you enjoy God? while being persecuted, while suffering for your faith, while hurting in a broken world where sin makes real damage and it really does hurt and yet you can rejoice and leap for joy in that because there's something to come that is so much greater. And in fact, it's already ours. The promise is sure today. So enjoy him today. Jesus is the most blessed. You know that? And we follow him, meaning we're gonna live like him. 
Jesus, the most blessed, he says, blessed are you who are poor. This is Jesus, the co-eternal son of God. Having all the glory of heaven, having created everything, he owned it all. And yet he entered into this mess. And the incarnation set his glory aside and became human and obedient to the point of death. Jesus walked around saying things like, oh, you want to follow me? Well, just know this. Foxes have dens. Birds of the air, they have nests. I don't even have a place to lay my head tonight. You want to follow me? Jesus was poor so that we could be rich. Jesus says, blessed are you who are now hungry, you who weep now, when you're hated, when you're excluded, when you're insulted, when they slander your name as evil. This is Jesus who was hungry and thirst with great sorrow. And I thirst, and they give him vinegar. As he's dying on a cross, he's been excluded, cast out of the city with all kinds of insults hurled against him by everyone walking by with a placard above his head that says, King of the Jews, in a couple languages. Insulted, called evil by those who should have known God more than anyone else. Or get the ones at the forefront of saying, crucify him. Jesus knows what it is to be blessed in persecution because in that moment of his horrific murder, as he's exalted on a cross, he is now crowned king of all. He's given a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So let's bow our knee to Jesus and remember he's here today. We can enjoy him today with the assurance of what is to come, but today will you enjoy God himself. Make sure you're dependent on him and not yourself, because woe to you who are dependent on yourselves, but blessed are you who are dependent on God. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your extravagant love, of your grace, your mercy, and this is who you are. there, There could never be anyone more glorious than you. This is a story that we could never come up with ourselves. You have come. So God, thank you. Help us to be mindful every day in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of just so much pain that you know, you know intimately. Jesus, you are a high priest who can sympathize with us. You know this stuff. And yet there's great joy to be found. When our joy is in you, we could never lose that joy. God, help us to be a church that is blessed and to be a church that is fully dependent on you and then to go be a blessing to others and invite them in to the greatest blessing that none of the circumstances of life can touch. Help us, Father. We need you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.